Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for the 539 Church Podcast. 539 is a church in Goodyear Heights seeking to invite people into Jesus's family. If you're in the Northeast Ohio area, we'd love to have you join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For more information about us, including our service times, address, and live stream information, please go to 539.church or look us up on Facebook or Instagram. Amen. Well, thank you, Nolan. And if you are new here, my name is Mike. I serve as the pastor here. I want to thank you for being with us this morning. And uh, if this is your first time or uh, you've yet to introduce yourself, please find me afterward. I uh, would love the opportunity to do that. But for whatever reason, before we jump into the message, I know Nolan just prayed, but um, I just feel compelled. If there are some of you in the room uh, and you would say you are just going through it right now, you're just going through a trial you feel like, you know, you're struggling and you just need prayer. You want someone to pray for you. I'm just going to take some time in the service for you just to stand and for some of us to extend a hand. And so if you're in the room and you'd say, hey, I'm struggling, uh, I'm in a trial right now, and I'm just requesting some prayer. We are a family here as a church, amen? And so if you need prayer, would you just feel free to stand wherever you are? If there's anyone in the room, you'd say, hey, I'm kind of going through it right now. Yeah, anyone else, you'd say, hey, I'm just requesting prayer. I'm not going to ask you to share, pass the mic, or anything crazy like that. Uh, and so why don't all of us, I'm going to pray, and if you want to extend a hand uh, to those standing. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are the God who comforts us in our affliction. God, you are the one who ministers to us, Lord. I just pray for those who would say they are just going through it right now. And God, they need to sense your presence, your comfort, and the Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do all of that and more. And so God, would you help us to be a church family that cares for those around us and ministers to them. And so Lord, we give this to you and these people to you in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Uh, we are in a series right now called What Does It Take? And this series is four weeks long. It's leading us into Easter. Uh, we're doing this series, really, it's around this idea of evangelism, which is basically sharing your faith. Uh, we talked about it uh, week one where we had some stories. Uh, hopefully those stories were motivating. And then week two, last week, we talked about tears, having passion for people far from God. And today we're going to talk about conversations and how to have a conversation with someone uh, far from God. And next week, we're going to talk about invites. How do you invite someone to church? Um, 82% of people uh, would come to church if someone they knew invited them on Easter. Uh, stats would show only 3% of the church invites the unchurched to church. Uh, but I like to think 539, we're not cut that way. We're a little bit different. But either way, we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, but this series is centered around our church name is Acts 539, which says this, uh, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. And what is it? How do you find it? How do you keep it? What does it look like? Have we lost it? Whatever the case is, uh, that's what we're talking about. And really, uh, through this series, this evangelism series, we're using these things we call a family card. Um, as a church, we want to invite friends into family. Uh, we ask you to pick one of these up, to list names, to pray for them, to invest, to invite all of that stuff uh, as a church, that is the heartbeat of what we're trying to do. Um, and really, around the idea of this verse, I want to say this on the outset, that a movement from God has less to do with the amount of people and more to do with the commitment and passion of his people. Um, often, when we think uh, movement or church or whatever God is doing, we look at the amount of people. 
But I believe, I believe that it has more to do with the commitment or obedience and passion of his people. Um, how are we following after Jesus? Are we? Are we obedient in that? Oftentimes, we look for crowds or big things and all that type of stuff. When Jesus had his followers, he just had that ragtag group, just a few of them, right? And he, they would go and share Jesus. Now, uh, by a show of hands, how many of you, uh, I should be super bold, again, we're not going to pass the mic or anything, uh, you would say you're an extrovert and you love a good conversation. Raise your hand. All right, I got a few friendly foes in here. Uh, how many of you would say you dread it and you need a nap after Sunday morning? Okay, yeah, some of you are like, don't approach me ever. Uh, either way, either way, how do we have a good conversation about Jesus? Now, if you're new to church, you're really confused right now because you're like, hey, this is weird. I'm not even trying to talk about Jesus. I'm trying to find Jesus. We're going to talk to you as well. Uh, but for the rest of you, you might say, hey, this is really, really difficult um, I'm not used to this. I don't know how to share Jesus. I just kind of tapped out a while ago and said, that's not for me. Uh, I like to say there are two types of people in this room. Uh, this is the extreme view. Uh, a couple years ago, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they pull in the, you know, the driveway at my house. And when that happens and I see them, uh, I go jogging over and I'm like sitting at the door. And I'm like, hope. I'm like, they're here. And I look over, it's a true story. And hope is bunkered down under the thing. And she's like, they're here. You know, uh, either way, there's two types of folks, and I'm telling her to brew the coffee, get ready, we're going to share Christ, and she's just like, hey, that's not me. That's not me. If that's you, what are you supposed to do? Where do you start? What are you supposed to say? All of that type of stuff. What are some tips or some tools we can give you? Or this is a tragedy as well. You have some pastor that comes up, and he starts sharing all these stories about how he shares Christ, and you know, he'll have a story like this. Hey, I was I was uh, on the airplane, and I'm sitting there, and the guy beside me, you know, I got my Bible out, and, you know, I'm just sitting there, and as I'm reading, I'm reading John 3.16, and, and he leans over to me. He says, hey, I, I've been an atheist my whole life. No one's ever told me about Christ. Would you tell me? And I'm like, sure, you know, and so I, I start to share, and so he, he says, can I receive Christ right now? And I'm like, Ab absolutely, and behind me is a Jehovah's Witness, and she said, wait, did you just say that Jesus is God and that we need to believe in him for salvation? I said, yeah. She said, can I give my life to Christ? And I'm like, might as well. And then the flight attendant comes strolling down, and she's like, did I overhear Jesus? And I'm like, yeah, do you want to know about him? She's like, tell me more. So I, I shared with her, and she gave her life to Christ. And then she was like, I have an idea. Would you come on the loudspeaker? And I'm like, that's what I do for a living. So I get up there, and the whole plane gets saved, and we land. And I said, let's start 539, right? That's how it happened. Now, not a true story, not a true story. Um, but they share stories like that, and you're like, what is this guy talking about? Um, there was, I actually, when I was a youth pastor, I shared that in the high school group, and the kid, one of the students goes home, and he tells his mom that this was a true story, and Mike did this, and all this stuff. So that's not a true story that never happened. But either way, you hear stories like that, and you're like, hey, I can't do that. That's not me. Uh, I, I really have nothing, I want nothing to do with that. And oftentimes, when we think of evangelism, uh, we think of some guy or gal on the side of the road with a sign, right, that's, you know, basically telling people they can either go to hell or stop and talk to him. Uh, you have someone that's going door to door, very aggressive, bold approach, and you're like, hey, that's just not me. It's not the way God wired me. What am I supposed to do? And we said last week, hey, we are going to, as a church, on a regular basis, kick against the idea that we need to get the professionals, we just need to get the people who are skilled speakers and worship and the, the apologists and all this stuff, get them, and they'll be the ones who do it. That's not my gift, is what people say. Now, as followers of Jesus, we've never 
punted on an assignment from God because it's not the way I'm gifted. We've never done that. We'll say it this way, that God is not calling the few to reach the many, but the many to reach the few. That he's not calling just a few selected, really gifted people to reach the world for Christ. He's calling his church. He's assigning us to go and share Christ. Now, what I believe, or at least a question we should ask is this. What if, what if spiritual maturity was not measured by how many believers you know, but by how many unbelievers you served? What if that is how we gauged it? What if it was less about information you could attain or quote or remember, and it was more about, hey, I love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength, but I love my neighbor as myself? What if that's how we gauged it? Less to do with information and more to do with what Jesus said, hey, um, those, if you love those who love you, you know who can do that? Anybody. But to love those who hate you and are against you, to be for those people, that's how we're going to gauge this. Now, when we talk about sharing our faith, instead of maybe giving some cookie cutter, canned presentation uh, that some of you might be used to if you're used to this kind of thing, we want to talk about this idea of within relationships and through open doors is where sharing Christ works best. That really just taking, uh, I'm going to keep coming back to this, taking uh, the people in your life, taking those who are already around you and saying, hey, where's the open door? Where's the relationship? You ever seen someone try to force a door open? Yeah, you end up breaking your shoulder and looking really dumb, right? You don't force the door open. You don't try to jam through it and having this real aggressive approach. We say, hey, God, who are the people in my life? Who are the folks that are around me that I need to engage? Who are the people that you put in my path? So this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. If you're new to the Bible, uh, we'll have it on the screen for you. Uh, And if you have one, go ahead and grab that. That's where we're going to be. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 uh, to 35. And really, anytime, this should be said on a regular basis, anytime we share God's word or you hear a message, there's twofold approach. There's two two things that need to happen. Um, It's my job or whoever's preaching to rightly divide the word of truth. Uh, to show, say, hey, here's what the scriptures say. And it's the hearer's job. In Acts 17, it says to be a Berean, that you would examine the scriptures to see if what, what was said is true. It's a twofold approach every, every time that would happen. So uh, Acts chapter 28, or sorry, Acts chapter 8, verse 26 says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a cohort official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. In verse 26, what I want to just point out for a second, um, there's a lot happening right now in the book of Acts, and it's all kind of happening at Jerusalem. That's kind of the hubbub of spirituality and really uh, all that God seems to be doing. He leaves his followers, and what's he tell them? Go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So all of the people would drift toward Jerusalem at this point. And what does the angel tell Philip? To go to the road, go to the what? Desert. A lot of us, when we think sharing Jesus, we think stage, we think microphone, we think platform, we think followers, we think subscribers, we think all of that right? And God doesn't call Philip to the stage. He calls him to what? The desert. 
And oftentimes, that's where conversations with people far from God are going to happen. Behind the scenes, no one's going to watch, no one's going to see. We want to get them in a room sometimes, and God is calling us often to the low places. God, would you send us to the desert where people are searching and seeking for God? Oftentimes, we want to bring them in, which we'll talk about that. But other times, the Spirit says to Philip, go to the desert. No one's going to see you. No one's going to applaud you. No one's going to post about it. Mom's not going to write you a letter and send you flowers. No one's going to do anything. It's going to be just you and this individual. And it says the eunuch. The eunuch is going from Jerusalem. Now, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit. Eunuch, he's simply in charge of her treasure. He's coming from Jerusalem. He's on his way back. I want to point out one thing in this passage, or verse 27. He's coming from Jerusalem to worship a eunuch. In Deuteronomy 23, uh, they are not allowed in the assembly to worship. I'll get to that in a second. That's very significant. He's coming from Jerusalem because he was there worshiping. And as he is, Philip approaches him, and this is important to know. Every single person you currently know, and yourself, you are a worshiper You're worshiping something or someone. I just assume it. People are searching and seeking for God. That's why on Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about the woman at the well. She came to the well to hide, and she was worshiping something, but she needed uh, Jesus, right? So we said, I found it. It's living water. We assume, hey, what are people looking for? He just come from worshiping. Your worship is in the wrong direction, Now, this is what he also does, or what we should do. We should not or don't change your schedule to share Jesus. Engage in the one God has already given you. Oftentimes, when you hear this stuff, you're like, man, my schedule's already jammed. I can barely get the stuff done I have already. I'm a taxi driver for the kids. The work schedule's jammed up. I don't have any other time. What do you want me to do? We're not saying any of that, that you would just engage where God has already placed you, that you have friends you have family members, right? You have, na- you have actual legitimate neighbors beside you, people you work with who don't know Christ. We'll talk about why this is so significant. But you, are, you just engage wherever God sends you. We'll say it this way as well. When going in the direction God tells me, whoever is on the way is an opportunity. That wherever, if I'm going somewhere, I'm, I have a schedule, I have a job, and if this is where God has sent me, whoever is in the path is on the way. That's that's an opportunity. Now, it was a couple weeks ago, um, I was walking with my daughter and my son in the stroller, and we're walking, we're in our neighborhood, probably 20 houses down, never met this guy. Uh, and, you know, basically, he had approached us, and he's seen our kids, and he started asking me these questions, and he started talking to me, and basically, uh, wasn't really in the mood to talk. You know what I mean? Extroverts, you ever have that where, like, you're drink, you really aren't feeling it at all? And I have a cop-out, so when someone says to me, hey, what do you do, Right? And I'll share this. I've always said, hey, I used to lie, right? They'd be like, what do you do? And I'd be like, I teach. And he'd be like, what do you teach? I teach history, you know. Uh, where at? I'm uh, in Akron, you know. Uh, which Akron Public School? The east side, you know. Uh, so I basically used to, you know, make up stuff. But now I just tell, tell the truth. Um, he, said, he said, what do you do? I said, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. And he said, where at? So I told him, and I'm like 15 minutes from here. And he said, actually, I grew up on Morning View, uh, which is the road right back here. And he said to me, what do you teach? I was like, that's an interesting question, sir. Uh, And as he was asking me, I said, well, give me some context so I can kind of help frame. 
He said, I grew up in the Catholic uh, church, and I haven't been to church in probably 20, 30 years. What, what do you guys teach there? And I said, well, I'm glad, glad you asked. <laughs> uh, I said, it's faith alone in Christ alone by grace alone in Christ. That's basically it. I said, you know, this is the gospel message. And he looked at me. He goes, no works? And I said, not for salvation. After the fact, he said, really? I got to check that out. I said, we'd love to have you, right? So here's, here's what I would say. Oftentimes, when you're not looking for an opportunity, if you pray, if you pray, it says in Colossians 4, God is going to give you an opportunity, usually when you least expect it. It is like the Holy Spirit to open up a door to share Christ. You can bank. That's not the devil prowling around like a lion trying to get you to share Jesus and get really embarrassed. So you can bank on that. So God, what are the opportunities in front of us? The Philip, he approaches this eunuch and he's come to worship. So let's look at the conversation a little bit. It says in verse 28, and he was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, do you understand what you are reading? So this is what we would call, um, you know, an unlikely scenario. This is the softball that we would call. This is like you approaching your friend and they're on their phone and you're like, hey, what are you doing on your phone? They're like, honestly, man, John 3.16 has been getting to me. Would you help me? Like that's, that's kind of how this would happen. Only one time in my entire life uh, did someone come up to me and they ran and they said, I need to give my life to Jesus. What do I do? And I was like, wow, that's incredible. So um, here's what, a few things that we need to see from this. When the spirit said to Philip, go over there, what does Philip do? Let's try this again. Some of you still sleeping. Time change. What does Philip do? He what? He ran. Yeah. We got stuff. We're busy. I got an excuse. My life isn't really consistent. They're probably going to know about that. I don't want to tell them. Um, I'm going to have to say I don't know. They're going to have questions for me. I'm not that smart. I'm not a scholar. Are you kidding me? Barely been in my quiet time. This. So, so instead of that, we have, and, and I'm right in this. We have excuses, just not feeling it right now, not really feeling close to God, Philip. No, no, no. He runs. It's urgent. He's going. He's going to meet this man. And this is what he also does and what we should do. We need to start with where they are, not with what we know. His question to him is, do you understand what you are reading? Do you know what's going on? He doesn't show up with a cookie-cutter presentation and having all the answers and being really smart, right? We're trying to impress people. Um, basically, we want to feel the need to memorize certain things and have all the stuff and basically being smart as you can recall information, uh, right? So it's not impressing anybody. You know the phrase, people care less about what you know and more that you would care for them, Right? So, so this is what he does and what we should do. We need to start with where they are, not with what you know. And the question, do you understand what you're reading, often we can contextualize it and just say, hey, leaning in, what we talked last week, is basically saying, hey, how are you doing? Oh, good, good. No, how are you really doing? Hey, is, is everything going on, in the, everything in the family going on okay? Can I, can I pray for you? Do you understand that God is maybe trying to show his love to you? Do you understand this? We need to start with where they are. Now, as a church, we need to be experts at starting with where people are and not pointing out what they do wrong. We need to be professionals at that. 
Because it's very easy to approach someone's life and just want to, I mean, just blow it up. Want to change their behavior, want to change the way they look, the way they dress. We want to clean them up. But if we're going to be experts in anything, it should be at starting with where they are. Hey, do you understand? He, he approaches him, and what Philip doesn't do, he runs over, and he's like, I got a lot of stuff to tell you. Sit down and shape up. It's not what he does. Oh, I'll just blast their Facebook. Right? It's not what he does, or I'll just gossip the mess about him. It's not what he does. He runs over, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he, right, we're going to see, no, he doesn't. But here's what he also does, if we're, or what we should do. If we're going to be a hospital, we must embrace messy and complex. One of the values as a church that we have, and we say this on a regular basis, we want to be a hospital for sinners or for broken people, not a museum for saints. This isn't just for the people who are clean and perfect and we have it all together, we have all the answers, we know what we're doing, so come and watch us and be like, that's not at all uh, what, what is happening. We want to be a hospital full of doubt, full of questions, don't really know how this thing works, trying to follow Jesus, don't have my life together. But if we're going to be that, it's not going to be clean, it's not going to be cookie cutter, it's going to be kind of messy, it's going to be complex. For those of you who follow Jesus, you want to know how you came to Jesus, if you can just reflect for a moment, stumbling, full of doubt and questions, not knowing how this is going to work, scared to death, following in and coming to Jesus just like that. And if we're going to run a hospital, we have to be prepared to start with where people are, not with what we know, that we need to not point out what they're doing wrong, but to love them where they are. In verse 31, he says this, and this is what the eunuch says back to Philip, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You see, the reason I'm using the phrase cookie cutter presentation or canned is because um, we're very blessed to have the Bible. And what God does is he gives us a blueprint. He gives us a pathway on how to navigate these, these messy waters. And the man says, how can I unless someone guides me? One of the things we need to do is just assume anyone without Jesus doesn't know where to start. It's a very good thing, but the tragedy often is once you get to church and you start hanging around church people, praise God. You start reading your Bible, praise God. Uh, you start uh, serving, praise. You get in all that. You often forget what it was like when you didn't know Jesus. You don't know the big number from the little number, right? When I said the book of Acts, you thought like an axe that cuts wood, right? You were looking like, where's the axe, right? Um, you don't know where to park, where to go. We don't have much parking, so you just kind of find a spot. But either way, you don't know what to do when you come in, right? You remember the first time you went to church? Scared to death? Why are they singing like that? Why are their hands? Is there a teacher calling on the hand? Where are the hands? Right? You don't know. So you often forget. So here's what he said. How, how can I unless someone guides me? How am I, where are we going to start here? So God, give us the wisdom and the courage to start with where people are, not with trying to prove something. Help me with this, God. How are we going to do this? We've got to position ourselves. Now, here's what he does, and we'll talk about this for a moment. If we are, if we're jerks for Jesus, we will never be invited to sit. What's he say? How can I unless someone guides me? And what's he do? He invited him up. Hey, would you sit with me? I pray and ask God that we have the relationships and the capacity that when crap hits the fan in someone's life, 
their first thought is, wait a minute, I have a church friend and they'll know what to do. I need to invite them in. They'll pray for me. I need, to, I need to call so-and-so. Are we the type of people that God would allow us to be invited in? If we're jerks for Jesus, if that's our nine to five, that's our title, we're blowing people's lives up, we're never gonna be invited in. The, the, the eunuch is sitting there, he's reading the prophet Isaiah, and he's sitting there and has this encounter. He said, would you, would you come in and help me? Would you, would you do this? So for a lot of us, we gotta ask, am I loving enough Am I patient enough with where people are? Am I able to listen long enough to have the conversations, the messy, the complex, wanting to say a thousand things but holding my tongue to share Jesus? Would we be invited in when the first thing that happens in someone's life, they think, wait a minute, I have a, I have a friend who follows Jesus. They're, they're, they're not perfect. They don't have all the stuff, but they're gonna point me to God I pray that God would give that for us. And then it goes on in 32 to 35, and we'll finish the passage here. It says, now the passage of scripture he was reading was like this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, very important, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Here's why this is very, very wild of what God is allowing us to see. He's reading Isaiah 53. This is the softball. This is God just setting it up at the right time with the right people in the right place. A eunuch was prohibited to go to worship. In Deuteronomy 23, he's on his way back from worshiping God in Jerusalem. Isaiah 53 is a perfect depiction of Jesus as the suffering servant. I mean, it's just John 3.16 stuff. In Isaiah 56, so if you are not a follower of Jesus, I'm talking to you right now. In Isaiah 56, it goes on to say that eunuchs should not be kicked out but be brought in. So for those of you, if you're searching, if you're seeking, the Bible says you will find. Keep reading, keep following, keep asking God, and he will bring someone to you. He will reveal himself to you through his word, and you will experience God. That's actually what's happening here. But what does Philip do? He starts with who? Jesus. He starts with Jesus. He doesn't come to him and tell him, here's all the bad things you're doing in your life. Change these. And then you can come to God. We'll say it this way. Let's stop thinking people can understand living, before Jesus, living for Jesus before they know Jesus. Um, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1.6 that if someone preaches a different gospel, they are anathema, meaning cast them out into hell. A different gospel would be wanting someone to change external behavior before they have Jesus. We don't come looking to clean people's lives up on the outside. We come addressing the heart issue. We come saying, hey, I'm not gonna assume you would understand spirit of God things before you have the spirit of God. We don't come like that. We come thinking, hey, I would assume all of this is crazy to you. I would assume all of this is new. All of this is weird. How could you even comprehend this stuff? We come just assuming, hey, you need to know Jesus before you can actually live like him. We need to do what he does as well. And he focused on what Jesus did, not what people must do. 
When you start the conversation, where's your first point going to? What's the first thing we're bringing up? What's the first thing when someone asks you or you get an opportunity? We want to look at what Jesus did, not what people must do. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 5, it says this, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. Most of us in the room, you have read this, you have heard this, you have thought, you have prayed, you have understood what this is saying. Now, this is why we are coming to this point. This is it. This is it. When we talk about what, what does it take, this is it. It is the gospel message. We want something new. We want something flashy, something sexy, something that sounds good. We want a greater application. This is it. It is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And when we try to graduate from and move on, we're missing the real point. It says this in Romans 1.15, I was eager to preach the gospel to you, which is the good news, that we would not be ashamed. This is the message. This is what has power. This is what has strength. This is where people are actually gonna have changed eternities. Not when I'm clever, not when I'm smart, not when I'm catchy, not my words, not my application. All of that is dust. It, is, it will just pass away. So this is why we bring it up and why we're coming back to this. Because oftentimes we just think this is simple. This is old hat. We talked about this before. We did this before. You wanna know what's coming up in Easter? Yeah, this. This is it. This is all we're doing. You come Easter, we're gonna talk about that. You're like, oh, I thought there was something different. Nope, this is it. This is all we're doing. This is the it that started 2,000 years ago. And as a church, this is the it that we're still talking about today. This isn't about a movement of our church or certain churches. This is a movement of followers of Jesus sharing that message. If you think it's boring, if you think it's old hat, you've got to ask God, renew my passion and love for you. Would you restore to me the joy of salvation? This is it. So people's lives are complex. We need to look to Christ for clarity. When we're talking with people, we need to remember how complex, how hard this is, how awkward. Oh my word, is it so awkward? Why is this normal for everybody? Yes. We need to look to Christ for clarity. In a day and age where, I mean, people's lives are just all over the map. You just feel confused to even bring it up. What about this thing? What about this thing? And all of that, we look to Christ for clarity because this is what happens. If the gospel is not clear, then neither is eternity. If it's not clear, it says in 1 John 5, he says, I've written these things to you so that you might know that you have eternal life. God does not want you to think so. He doesn't want you to hope so. He doesn't want you to feel maybe uncertain. I, I hope I get to heaven one day. That's not at all what the Spirit of God wants. He wants you to have the confidence, the assurance that if you were to die, you have eternity with him. And for some of us, every time we bring up this idea or this verse, there's a lot of you, you don't have the assurance. You don't know what you're trusting in. You're trusting in a work. When I talked to that gentleman in my neighborhood, and he said, you sure know works? I said, well, there's one work that we trust in, and it's the death and resurrection of Christ. That's it. It is my faith in Jesus that really, if the gospel is not clear, if it's foggy, you got a bunch of people looking for emotions or maybe to change external behavior. We used to be bad. Now we're good people. It's all that mess. We're death to life. It's in God's hands in eternity. Now, 
Because I need to when we talk about this, I want to answer this question for sake of rabbit trail. I just have to. But what do you, or when do you need to pray for God to send someone else on your behalf? Here's why this is important. This comes up all the time. You're sharing Jesus with someone. You're praying for them, and it's not going well. There's a few reasons why. Number one, they know your past, man. And it's a family member. They bring it up every time. Right, you're trying to share Christ, and they're like, "Weren't you like at our Christmas thing, like you know, last year? You you know, weren't doing good." They're bringing up your old sins, and you're like, "Yeah, but I'm changed." And they're like, "Oh, that's how it works." So they're they're throwing all that in your face. It says in Matthew seven six, "Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you." Um, this is not a cop out. We don't give up on people before Jesus actually does. So we don't stop praying, we don't stop investing, but one thing is important is we want to respect a boundary. We don't want to be beyond aggressive, right? You know, you invite someone to Easter and they say, no, I I don't want to come. You don't show up, I mean, I'm telling you, don't show up like laying on the horn at nine o'clock, we're here, like, you know, uh, don't don't do that. Um, You want to ask yourself, hey, is this just getting weird now? Like, are we not even able to keep the friendship because this is always coming up and they're always saying no? We want to res- you want to respect that. And oftentimes, and I usually say in family situations and if they know your past too well, you just need to pray and say, God, would you send someone else on my behalf? Would you send someone else to invest? Would you ask someone else to plant a seed? I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to ask, would God, would you change their heart? But it's looking like it can't be me. It's looking like it can't be me. God, would you send someone else? So very, very briefly, I'm going to walk walk through a few things, some practical tips. If you don't know where to start, if all this is still so new and you're like, man, I don't even know the starting point, the starting point. First one is this, pray about their soul, not a behavior you want to change. Oftentimes you get in it and you're like hoping people will start to be like you and real polished and churchy and do the stuff you do and how great you are and amazing you are and God's pleased with you, all that stuff. You want to start praying about their soul because people's lives are eternal. And it's, I mean, this is not about a number. This isn't about the next one. This is about actual lives. God, would you, would you change their soul? Would you help me, God? Invest before you invite. As a church, we want to break the narrative that people are just like, yeah, you just want me at church. That's it. No, that's not it. That's not it at all. You want to invest. You want to help someone. You want to serve someone. You want to actually invest into their lives. This one is super practical, but find common ground. I do this all the time when I get the chance. I have a friend, and I'll say, hey, I know you don't follow Christ. I know you think the Bible's wild, but you're a great dad. The Bible talks a lot about how Christians should be good dads. You do that really well. That honors God. Hey, you have a servant's heart. I I ran into a guy. I was like, hey, man, if, if people in church served like you, I mean, it would be incredible. You have a servant's heart. I don't know where that comes from, but that honors God. Hey, you're a hard worker. You know what the Bible talks about? Us being hard, being working hard for God in our, in our job. So affirm or find common ground when you can. Next one is, I don't know is a great answer. Depending on the size of the room, I'll have people like practice it. Hey, let's do it now. I, you know, uh, I don't know. And here's why you need to really sink in on this. When we have baptisms, you want to know how many people sit in the baptism and they go, man, all my questions got answered, and then I gave my life to Jesus. You want to know how many people say that? Zero. It's never happened. You want to know how I know that? All of you in the room, if you follow Jesus, how many questions do you still have about God? 
How many questions do you have about the Bible? How many, all of that, and you still follow him. So just get used to saying, hey, I have no idea. Your question, I don't know. I don't know, what about this one? I don't know, can I tell you about Jesus? This is what I do know. Next one is assume you'll mess it up. Just embrace it. Assume you're gonna start at the wrong time, you're gonna bring it up the wrong time, they're gonna say something weird, it's gonna be, you know, they're running out the door and you're like, I gotta tell you, okay, okay, next time. Um, It's gonna be all of that, just assume, just assume. And God is gonna work in a powerful way, which is the next one, expect power from God. You're gonna, it's gonna be awkward, it's gonna be weird, it's gonna be, you know, you don't really know if they're thinking you're crazy or if they, you know, all of that, it's all that. But when God uses it, it says in Acts 1.8, you will receive power and you'll be my witnesses. It says in Luke 12.12, 12, when you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit will give you the very word at the hour when you don't know what to say. So for a lot of us, all this is so new. You might be sitting here thinking, this is crazy stuff. I don't even know how to navigate this. Even that, you just brought up, I can't do it. I don't, I don't know what to do. Let me end with this quote from David Pollock. He says this, If Jesus came into our home tonight and said, I'm going to answer every prayer you prayed last week, how many souls would come to know Christ because of our prayers? If that's all he did, if Jesus showed up and said, hey, everything you prayed last week, I'm going to answer all that, how many people would come to know Christ? How many people on our family card that we want them to not just be um, friends of ours, but invited into family? How many many of people would that happen? And for those of you who are new to this whole thing, and maybe you're not a Christian, I just want to say a few things. This is the heartbeat of God. This is why we talk about it. This isn't because we're trying to increase anything for us or anything like that. This is about what God wants for you, that eternity is at stake. And because of that, we invite friends into family. Would you guys stand and I'll pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love and your word and God, how you give us a blueprint to have conversations. And God, I just, I think of the disciples who are standing there and you're leaving them and you tell them to go into the world and to preach the gospel. The amount of courage it took, the amount of doubt they had, but they still followed you. Would you give us the same type of courage? I ask that you would give us conversations God, and would your gospel work a mighty work? God, we give this to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.